What's up, everybody? This is FTW with ModCon. I'm your host, ModCon, and joining me today on this 8 Frames of Delay edition is Esports Heaven's Joseph Volomo-Franco. How's it going? And later on, we'll have Zorin Harley-T of Player2 Studios, who's also former managing editor of Yahoo Esports. On today's episode, we'll discuss EVO, one of the biggest fighting game tournaments of the year, moving online, as well as some idle chit-chat towards the end. But first, we have to talk Overwatch League. The Vancouver Titans have announced that it'll be dropping its entire roster and bringing up its second squad, Second Wind, to take its place. So let's just jump right into it. Joseph, what is going on? Uh, that's a great question. I, I'm still kind of baffled by this move. This is uh, unprecedented and uh, I would say rivals the, the Shanghai Dragons own, own 40 season of season one uh, of constant mishap and, and strange oddities. This is this is one for the history books for sure. I don't think anything like this has happened in, in my time of being an esports fan or even even working in the space. This is this is unprecedented for sure. You know, you, you have a team of this caliber basically dissolved overnight or over what looks like the span of a few a few months with uh, the COVID-19, you know, global pandemic, but yeah, basically all of the, all of the players these these fantastic players many of which were MVP caliber, um some of which won awards and accolades um are now uh, teamless and uh we're sitting in the middle of a season in the middle of a global pandemic, many of which, you know, probably won't be able to get visas to play on other teams, so it's it's a not looking good for uh, many players with veteran status that are, are some of the world's best um, and are now just free agents. It's kind of a bizarre situation, right? Because right when the coronavirus was starting to really restrict movement around the world, uh, the squad, which is all Korean, decided that, you know, they didn't want to be stuck in Vancouver for an unknown period of time, you know, whether it be a year or two years, uh, and decided that it was best for them to, you know, live back home in South Korea, which, of course, brought its own logistical challenges because the team couldn't provide the same amenities that it did back home in Vancouver. And, you know, moving overseas also just made things more difficult because there were connection issues. Now they couldn't play in the same region anymore. So Overwatch League had to kind of put them onto the onto the Western Conference. It turned into a huge problem for the team to just handle running a team completely remotely on the other side of the world. And I can't help but feel a little sympathetic for the team, but also a little frustrated with the team in that, you know, these players are first employees and players for this organization and represent a locality. But given like the entire situation, they opted to leave, you know, their jobs and, you know, go back home. Do you think I'm being a little too harsh in my assessment here? Um, I, I think harsh is, is a strong word. I would say that I'm also very sympathetic to a lot of these organizations. I know that COVID has completely, you know, flipped the world on its head and, and esports orgs are no different, but to say that they're some sort of special case and, you know, other teams didn't have to do something very similar. I mean, we have the Seoul dynasty moving from LA to Seoul, Korea, and then back and forth. They're, they're, they're making this very feasible for themselves. I don't know exactly why the Vancouver Titans and the the Canucks, you know, sports entertainment group um, has not been able to do that or has not been able to kind of foot the the bill or provide resources for these players. It's unfortunate that that's not the case, but I would say it is a little harsh to, to kind of, you know, not necessarily shift, but to displace a little bit of the blame. I, I think in my assumption or my read of things, a lot of the the blame seems to kind of come down on the organization and the communication and the lack, maybe the lack thereof. You know, the story obviously is still developing, but there there is not a lot of what looks like complete handwashing from the organization standpoint. I will say that it, it doesn't seem like a complete one party problem. I, I believe that, you know, the players also had a hand in a lot of the, the, the problems here. 
But I, I think the lion's share does kind of come down on the organization. I think there are plenty of orgs and, and teams in the league in particular that have, have been able to, you know, triage and manage teams traveling all across the world, dealing with the global pandemic. I'm not entirely too sure why, you know, the Canucks and the Vancouver Titans haven't been able to do that. Um, and that's basically cost them a, a championship caliber team. And they've completely lost that now. Well, you know, let's let's now actually talk about these players. So, like you said earlier, that you know the Titans aren't like relegated to the back half of the Overwatch League. They are an excellent team and played incredibly well uh, in season two. So, I mean, what's going to happen to these players? Are they, is there just going to be a bidding war to buy them up? My my hope is that you know all of the the teams in the league come running and want to sign these MVP caliber players. But the reality of things is that we're in a global pandemic, right? There's there's very little visa application, if any, to to try and, you know, fly these players around. You could even say it's probably negligible or, or negligence to be able to or, or to ask these players to get on planes and fly over and, and risk their health. I think that that's probably not something that they're interested in doing. But it's my hope that every single one of these players gets another opportunity, gets it gets a chance to be able to stay within the league because they're all capable 100 percent. But unfortunately, I, I really don't see that happening. I really don't see teams that are already strapped for cash, organizations that are already suffering financial hardship with the COVID, you know, pandemic and whatnot. I, I, I don't see all of them finding homes. I see some of them retiring. I see some of them, unfortunately, being relegated to the second league and contenders. I see some of them, you know, maybe, maybe you know, the peak players on that team, players like Hawksaw, maybe players like Fisher, players like Twilight, finding homes, maybe landing on their feet. In, in in kind of emergency situations and maybe some of them will just be kind of jaded with this, this situation and, and maybe hang it up for good maybe retirement because of the situation with vancouver well and then what about second wind i mean well first of all are they also just kind of located all around the world and two is there anybody on that roster that can really bring the vancouver titans back there's plenty of you know great talent in the the tier two scene as it's kind of lovingly called in, in overwatch um you know it's it's basically the amateur league that that kind of is attempting to feed up into the Overwatch League. It doesn't necessarily always uh, do that, but there are plenty of good players, and I do believe Second Wind will do you know well for themselves as the the new core of the Vancouver Titans. I think the team will do fine. My biggest problem with that team is that because they're being formed currently and and trying to you know being shoved into the limelight being placed against teams that already have been scrimming and practicing and, and trialing these hero pools for months now. They'll, you know, even with this new, you know, amateurly built roster that's going to come in, I think they're going to do perfectly fine for themselves. Is it going to be, you know, a contender for a title? 100% is not. But that said, I can't really blame the Titans and, and the organization on that front. You, you're, you're looking for players that are specifically located in North America that don't need visas, that are probably on, you know, not the cheaper end, but of course you, you've just had to cut a lot of your players. I'm sure that that in of itself comes with some sort of financial hardship. So it's, it's not a good look for anybody. It, nothing about this is good. Um, have they done the best they could? I, I believe that there are better or there are better teams currently, but maybe it's not feasible for, for, uh, for the Canucks to be able to kind of foot that bill. Maybe there are visa problems involved with signing other players. It's a, it's a gigantic messy situation. Hmm. And then last question, you know, the Overwatch League has slowly been gaining its uh, footing in various localities and creating fan bases. And, you know, I'm seeing on Reddit some of the conversation. Uh, how are Vancouver fans really taking this news? That's a tough one. 
I'd have to imagine that the Vancouver fan base has to be pretty upset. You've you've completely mismanaged the, the organization has completely mismanaged, miss uh, missed an opportunity and has spoiled what is very likely an embarrassment of riches. You ha- you and I, I I cannot stress this enough about how much this team meant to the Overwatch League, meant to the Overwatch community. These are players that have been playing for years. Um, have come up before the Overwatch League, have made a name for themselves as as a team called Runaway, who are this, you know, grandma sweater wearing affable team that just always tried their hardest and and got very, very far, but never quite could could reach the top. And once they did, they got that chance to become an Overwatch League team and were one of the best, if not the best, arguably, um, at, at certain points in 2019. If I was a Vancouver Titans fan, I think I'd be very upset I think I'd be furious that this team has completely slipped through our fingers and we haven't even been able to, you know, retain even some of the players, some of these world-class players to try and build around. Every single member, even the coaching staff is gone. This is a gigantic blow to the Vancouver Titans fan base, the Vancouver Titans themselves, and frankly to the Overwatch League and, and Overwatch history. Overwatch Esports history is now, uh, you know, saddened by the loss or the apparent death of one of its most beloved, you know, core rosters and and this runaway core. Um, there are plenty of you know articles floating around, you know, mourning and and kind of uh, bemoaning the loss of the this team, and I think it's completely justified. And it's it's a it's a very sad day to be an Overwatch fan. Yeah, I know. There's still a lot more reporting that needs to be done. Uh, from my initial conversations with some people on the inside, there's definitely more to this story, and I'll continue doing digging on my end, as I know you will too. But uh, Joseph, thank you so much for jumping on. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And now we have Zoreen jumping on to talk about Evo, the largest fighting game tournament of the year, jumping online. Hey, Zoreen. How's it going, Imad? So, Zoreen, you know, with with marquee games like Street Fighter, with Tekken, with Super Smash Bros, all moving online, how do you think it'll affect the efficacy of competition when you have people pinging in from Japan and Mexico and Canada? Right. I mean, you say that... um you know, we all expected Evo to be cancelled and moved online. I think we all expected it to be cancelled or postponed, but the moving online part, I think, took a lot of people by surprise. Um, fighting games are not known for being great online. The competitive experience online is, while it exists, isn't really taken that seriously. And especially when we're talking about, you know, on an international scale, I mean... Within America or the United States alone is like one story, but moving it to an international level is another one entirely. So honestly, I'm kind of surprised that they decided to move it online um, and rather than canceling Evo altogether because the other major tournaments of the year, such as Combo Breaker um, and before that, um, oh my gosh, final round, I think. Yeah, final round. Sorry, what was that? Uh, CEO, oh, I guess CEO Dreamland also occurred right before everything went into lockdown. Right, that's right. And CEO has been postponed until December, so it still exists in some way and will be happening in 2020. But everything else, like, you know, Combo Breaker was such a big blow to the community. Like, that is such a well-loved event. That was cancelled entirely. I don't even think they wanted to try moving that online, right? But, I mean... It really, Evo 2020 being an online tournament is really something that'll be uh, interesting to watch, but I don't think anyone's going to take this seriously. Like, whoever wins, like, good for them, but it won't be, it's nowhere near the same as winning, like, a proper 
in-person event, Evo, in Vegas. I wonder to what extent and they, they went forward with this decision. Was it that, you know, they were trying to recoup, recuperate whatever costs they could, uh, given that, you know, they had to cancel the event? And uh, I don't know what insurance, you know, Evo probably had. But either way, but maybe it was a business decision to recuperate those costs or a way to kind of help the community because without any locals going on, there are a bunch of players that maybe relied on this income that suddenly don't have it who can then maybe you know, make some extra money by participating in an EVO online event. Right. I mean, I do believe the first part, I agree with that. I think definitely, like, it is a cost-recuperating move. I mean, why even do it at all if if, if not to recuperate costs? And it's the cash money, baby, you know, that stuff's important. And the EVO team, like, they dedicate the entire year to planning and making sure EVO happens and, and you know, pulling together all the different partnerships that come into play as well as licensing. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me at the same time that when you think about what's motivating them, that they want to do something online. And I'm curious to see, you know, whether this will be confirmed when they announce more details surrounding how to enter online, what regions it's going to be open to, and how much it's going to cost to actually register and play and compete online. To your second point, like, I don't know if many players look towards Evo as a, like, a, oh, this is my chance to make some money. Like, Evo is no- notorious. Well, not notorious, but, like, it's not really something that's looked towards as, you know, like the Capcom Cup where the winner receives a $250,000 check, right? Like, Evo is more about winning for the sake of, like, the glory like you won evo it's one of the hardest tournaments of the year i mean we'll see maybe i'll stand corrected when they announce the online tournament i I know every game has its own issues with netcode and uh input delay and things like that Uh, famously street fighter when it first launched had eight frames of delay in input lag to account for any kind of you know online latency that was soon uh, reduced to six and i don't know if it's been reduced since then and of course there's the um the crazy story of the fan who was able to essentially rework all the netcode to be far more optimized. And I believe Capcom implemented it to some extent. But when when you're dealing with these different games with different netcodes, some good, some terrible, you know, to what extent do you think it'll, even even if like Capcom really de- decides to revamp all of its netcode and make it as good as possible, is it still even worth having an event? Okay, so in a perfect world like perfect netcode for all of these games, I think that would make the competition a little bit more um, not feasible so much as like something that people could take seriously and place value in, right? But let's be real, like the netcode as it is right now for competitive play is a total shit show. Can I swear on this show? Um, Yeah, yeah, go for it. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) you can blip me out if you need to. But it's like, it's such a joke. And like you mentioned, you know, Capcom making uh, updates and adjustments uh, to the netcode. Finally, like finally, three or four years after the release of the original game. And they only did it in response to a community, you know, member taking it upon themselves to try and improve it and fix it, right? Like finally they they did that. And I don't think that they're going to go the extra step and, and make it perfect and and update it to that extent. And same with the other publishers for Evo Online. I'm doubtful that anything will change in the netcode or for online playing for any of these games in the lead up to what could possibly be Evo Online in summer 2020. Yeah, like like I said, it's just something that it's, it's going to keep on existing and the FGC is gonna have to deal with it and, you know, take it as it is and, and take Evo 2020 for what it will be which is, you know, something that's more of a fun, entertaining tournament and less of a competitive tournament. Hmm. 
I don't know how much or to what extent you followed Pound Online, but that was a Smash Ultimate Melee tournament that took place about two weeks ago, and they had some really interesting issues. There were more issues on the Ultimate end because Nintendo's just online infrastructure is literally so bad there are separate tier lists for online play than you know local play but there were instances of where a player like both players would have to submit ping tests before their matches to prove that you know they were playing with a wired connection and that they had good connection but then during the game it would just go so haywire that even the player that won would end up becoming disqualified because their internet just ended up completely going to crap in the middle of competition and it's really difficult because, you know, we have no idea why that might have happened. It could have been something on his IP end. It could be that suddenly a bunch of people started watching Netflix and just ate up a ton of bandwidth. It could be Nintendo's end. Uh, but then, you know, you have a lot of frustration and, you know, literal tears. Like, people were very, very upset that, you know, they were DQ'd for something that was totally out of their control. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that really, really sucks. And it's like... It's just the way things are right now. Like, you know, with it being like quarantine right now, the whole nation's on kind of like a like a shelter in place, right? So, of course, the internet usage is going to be spiking and, and there'll be a lot of things that are out of your control. Like, I've I played in online tournaments before as well uh, for Tekken and like sometimes you just, you just have to deal with it. Like, even if you won and the connection was spiking and it's not your fault, like these things are out of your control. You can do everything to make sure it's perfect by, you know, plugging in directly to the router, like testing the settings, making sure everything's right. And you could still like... You have to be prepared to be faced with these unforeseen circumstances that can deal you the worst hands, and that's just the way it is. Moving on to kind of one of my final questions. So when you, this quarantine kind of thing could potentially last up to two years, you know, until there's maybe herd immunity or until there's some kind of uh, vaccine. Because of that, you know, with everyone kind of hunkered at home, I kind of theorize that there's a, just like with education, there are so many kids that are going to be at home and just going to lose potentially a year of their education and how that will affect them uh, moving forward. I feel like for the FGC, that younger generation that could be going to the locals aren't and will then say, well, I guess I can continue grinding in Street Fighter or Tekken, um, but if I want to make some money now or you know improve my esports career now, maybe I should jump to Valorant or Fortnite or whatever game you have, that there will be this kind of like lost generation in the FGC because it's just so unfeasible to really uh, make a career for yourself online. To what extent do you believe in my theory here? Ooh, that's an interesting one. I like that. It's funny because when this kind of quarantine first started happening, I was saying to people, I was like, man, I bet these all these like players are going to get hella good because they're locking down like at home in the lab, grinding and doing like, you know, all these drills and, and getting practice online without anyone seeing. So we're going to have like crazy results when everyone comes back in the, to the tournament scene. But I hadn't really thought about like the next generation or getting new players into into fighting games that way. Like when you compare fighting games to other online games that are very popular like League of Legends or Valorant or Overwatch like those games have solid online gameplay like they're very fun experiences you can play with you know some like ping and input delay and it's still be a very enjoyable experience and you can feel like you're progressing whereas fighting games don't really lend themselves well to those kind of environments so I feel like new players would be more discouraged and also like if you go online and you just get destroyed endlessly like that's not a good way to encourage you to keep practicing or nor is it a good way to learn right so a lot of you know the OG players we kind of grew up in these environments playing in like arcades or going to locals and that's what kept us going and practicing so I think your theory has some legs uh to be honest like why would new players keep on playing this 
shitty online experience and keep trying to practice if, if it's not fun or rewarding in any way. But at the same time, I wonder if like more of these players are looking to hopefully like labbing or single player experiences where they can practice and train. I know some of the newer fighting games um, do offer options that are really good. Like I was, uh, I started to learn Grand Blue Fantasy Versus, which is like, you know, the hottest new thing in the fighting game community right now. And like that has some really good tools to help you learn on your own without relying on other people. And the online is like not the best, but it could be also a lot worse. So that one's a little bit dicey. But yeah, I think uh, it's an interesting theory, Marty. You might be onto something there. Yeah, I've been I've been thinking of pitching that as an article to like the Washington Post. I think I just need to develop it a little more and speak to a few more players or, or experts to kind of flesh out the idea. Yeah, I'm probably not a good litmus test for that because I'm not a kid. <laughs> well, Zorin, when you're working from home and when you should be on Slack doing work but are instead on your PlayStation loading up a game of Tekken and you're chatting with that other person halfway across the world, what are you chatting about? <laughs> well, firstly, we use Discord at work because we're real gamers. Um, but <laughs> I, I'm mainly um, chatting about these days. Like, I've been on this really weird gaming binge because of quarantine, I think. It's been making me look to games that I don't usually play or haven't played in a long time. So, like, recently I've picked up Need for Speed the 2015 game, um, which was developed by Ghost Games, which was like a re- reboot of the Need for Speed series, the racing games, right? And I've just been using that as an opportunity to like drive around town and cruise, you know, because I can't do that in real life right now, obviously. So it's like me living vicariously through my underground racing persona, hanging out with my buddies on the streets and going street racing. Are, are you a big car person? And if so, what uh, what crazy car do you drive? So I'm not like a car expert by any means, but I do enjoy cars and like looking at cars and tuning my car in the game Need for Speed. Um, my car of choice is a Subaru WRX. Uh, and that's your real life car? That is indeed a real life car. Every time I see it in person, I get really happy. Now, I, I know this is like the most obnoxious question to ask, but is it a manual or is it an automatic? It is a manual. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm proud of you because like my car of choice, the one that's just been kind of hiding out at my parents' house in Texas is a Honda S2000, and um, I just love driving that thing so much. Oh, there you go. Well, there's a bonus to you hiding out in Texas. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, I guess for my... Man, I kind of I wish I chose a car topic to bring for my idle chit-chat. That's so much more fun than what I'm about to talk about. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I want to talk about the recent report by the New York Times that published yesterday about uh, Jared Kushner and the task force that he created to help deal with bringing in supplies um, to hospitals, especially uh, personal protective equipment, which has been in really short supply across the country. And it's tied into this recent whistleblower complaint that, um, you know, was talking about how the Trump administration really pushed away experts and brought in this group by Jared that was run by a bunch of interns who had who knew nothing of supply chain or procurement of medical supplies that essentially just tried to, you know, pull in friends within the Trump circle of orbit that could then supply, you know, this PPE. And of course, people within the government would be would suggest, hey, you know, there's this company, we've worked with them before, they're very reliable, we should give them such and such contract, you know, such and such like million dollar contracts. And those contracts would be turned aside for a no-name company to then, you know, deliver ventilators, which are very complicated devices. And right now, like the state of New York purchased 
60 some million dollars worth of ventilators from this company that were just never delivered upon. So I think, you know, we'll see kind of what happens if there will be any repercussions with Jared trying to, you know, hobble this task force together. But I think it just points to the bizarreness of this administration in which you have your experts, people are in trouble, yet you don't use them. And I don't know. I it, it's just I'm reading through the story. And I just had trouble making sense of it. I mean, that's like how the hell does that happen, right? Like, I, I, it's just it's it, from uh, the only thing I can really surmise is that it's just this style of operating maybe in business where you know you work with people you're close to or people you network with, but that doesn't necessarily work in the middle of like a national emergency where you you know you i think uh, the expert one expert said is like an emergency is a terrible time to exchange business cards right um i don't know we'll see we'll see I don't know, we'll see if anything actually happens with this uh, it seems that the trump administration is going to hobble any form of investigation by congress but you know i really i, ca- I can't talk about it anymore it, it just gets me too frustrated but that was this episode of ftw with Ahmad khan if you like the show subscribe share and rate it on apple podcasts if you want to follow Joseph from Esports Heaven, he can be found on Twitter at Volmel. If you want to follow Zoreen and all of her fighting games adventures, she can be found on Twitter at Zoreen. If you want to catch my work over at the New York Times, the Washington Post, and elsewhere, follow me on Twitter at Imad. Our producer is Annie Pei, and she can be found at Pei underscore Annie on Twitter. And our researcher is Ron Lyons. With that, we'll catch you guys next week.